Hi, everyone. Stuart Gandalf. Welcome to our webinar today, where I'm pleased to have uh, a couple of my very esteemed colleagues uh, in addiction marketing speaking with me as well. Uh, the topic today is how to successfully transition your addiction treatment marketing as we move away from the pandemic to endemic phase. And this is an important topic. We know we've been through a lot the last couple of years, as I think most people would agree. And so now it's time to, you know, one of the things about this, uh, the COVID pandemic is when is it really over, right? We thought it was over last June and then it maybe was over, you know, after that. And it looks like uh, according to most epidemiologists that we're going to be endemic. In fact, I just saw another announcement that this is official. What does that mean for our marketing? And so the idea with the pandemic is, you know, it's an emergency endemic is at this phase, it's how do we live with this? And really at this point, it's time to move on from reactionary marketing to marketing proactively. What should we be thinking about as we go to a new future? Hopefully a lot healthier uh, in so many ways, not just from COVID, but you know, all the tragedy and the stress and the um, uh, addiction that's come from this pandemic. So how do we move forward? So today the agenda is going to be, first of all, I'll introduce the presenters in just a moment. Uh, we'll talk about some observations and some data. Uh, we're gonna talk about a lot of things today. We're gonna touch on some of the most important things that we speak to all the time with the flavor of, okay, what does that mean for right now? So we'll be talking about digital marketing for sure, traditional marketing, um, call centers, business development, attribution. So we have a really deep agenda today. Um, and please feel free to ask any questions that you may have. So the speakers today include, oh, I just realized that I'm still visually muted. I'm sorry, I'm not hiding. <laughs> so I'm Stuart, I'm Chief Executive Officer. Uh, that's what I look like in real life. That actually was an Instagram photo a moment ago. Um, anyway, so I've been doing marketing and healthcare almost my whole career. Um, uh, started off with great big agencies, stumbled into healthcare, uh, a couple of decades ago, and they have been doing it ever since, working with providers and hospitals and health systems and all kinds of different uh, applications. Uh, also speaking with me today is Kathy. Kathy, introduce yourself for a moment. Yeah, hi, I'm Kathy Gorin. Um, I'm a senior strategist at Healthcare Success and excited to share some good info with you today. I've been in the healthcare space about 25 years and very deeply in the addiction space, at least the last 10. So we're excited to share some of our observations, recommendations, and um, thanks for attending today. Very good. And Josh? My name is Josh William. I've been in the addiction industry for six or seven years now, and I come from Google, where I was essentially a pariah for the legit script uh, certification process. When that was. <laughs> Must have been fun. <laughs> so the uh, and then uh, Jacob is another one of our addiction team members who's not on the call. We couldn't have the whole company today. So uh, Jacob is also extremely skilled and experienced in the addiction marketplace. So I thought this was a relevant uh, slide to start with. I still remember in high school learning about the Kubler-Ross model about death. And essentially, if you're not familiar with this, uh, but it, um, seriously, I remember this from 12th grade for some reason. Um, but the idea here was they studied this and there's, you know, this is a debated model. Some people say this is, you know, 100% true. Other people say there's no data backing it up, but it's a good context to think about. And essentially the observation was when people first find out they're going to die from a terminal illness, they go through these predictable stages. And the first stage is denial where this can't be happening to me. Then there's anger. Um, and, and then eventually there becomes depression, which makes sense. You can imagine you're upset that you're dying, then you're angry, then you feel depressed. And then at some point we begin bargaining. Uh, bargaining means, you know, uh, whether it's talking it out or trying to find meeting or praying or whatever. And then eventually there's exception, acceptance and, you know, coming to grips with the new reality. And this model, you know, to me, uh, the COVID pandemic, we were talking about this at the very beginning, actually, <laughs> um, of the Kubler-Ross model, that people were in denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance. And, you know, we noted even back in, what was it, April or May, when we do, did webinars in 2020, that there were probably people stuck in that denial and anger stage. And, you know, it turned out to be more prophetic than we realized. And, but I think now we'd argue most people uh, have moved beyond and we're really kind of in the acceptance phase. So it's taken a while 
and everybody's had their own personal journey and it has not been easy. But that what that means though, is it's a huge impact on marketing. We have to recognize there's been incredible disruption in the marketplace. And so now as we move forward, again, it's time for us to think about, okay, we're in a new reality. What's amazing is there certainly were a lot of casualties business-wise, uh, especially the weaker players in every kind of business, right? The other day, my wife was looking for a shoe repair place. Both the ones we used to go to are gone. So there are a lot of casualties in uh, industry after industry after industry. But today we're at a new reality where we have to accept the new reality. Uh, there's a consolidation in almost every marketplace, restaurants, shoe repair, addiction treatment. And we're at a new reality where consumers are beginning to dust themselves off and move forward. And unfortunately, COVID, I must say, before I turn this back over to Kathy, you know, it's not over. I, in the last week, I've, um, people that I know um, personally, I have have COVID, multiple people, uh, including family members of the people I know who've been in the hospital, including a baby. So it's not over, uh, clearly. And, uh, but I think that we're at the stage now where, again, it's endemic. So I'm not saying we're, we're done with it. We're clearly not. But we're at a point where people are beginning to move on and accept it. So, Kathy? You're on mute, Kathy. It was interesting. Uh, my son brought to me when we actually contracted COVID over the holiday, the Kubler-Ross model. We were going through that in our little two-week quarantine and denial and didn't want to admit we had it. So... Um, the market's been disrupted for sure, and we're also starting to establish new standards, you know, new ways of communication, new ways of commerce. Uh, it's, it's just very different, so we need to make sure that we're aware of all of these different um, table-setting efforts. What we saw through the shutdown, um, as Stuart mentioned in the beginning, I've been working the addiction space for many, many years, as has uh, Josh, as has Stuart, as has Jacob. And this is just a, a list of things that we saw, we heard, we observed. Um, and then worked through. Residential became local. Uh, people were less willing to get on a plane and fly to a um, remote location. So we found a lot bigger push for local draw when it came to residential properties in, in the addiction space. Uh, there was issues with quarantine, worrying about staff spread. We had staff spread in and out once they quarantined with patients. So it was just a mess throughout the last couple of years. Um, increase in standalone add-on IOP and mental health as well as detox programs. I'm seeing a number of addiction centers really expand into other areas with the ad uh, adoption of service lines, trying to reach uh, consumers on different levels. Um, and then also innovative rises of telehealth and a lot more mental health primary. We're noticing some of our addiction centers are seeing you know, a higher percentage of outreach for mental health primary than for addiction. So it's just important that we're recognizing the need in the market around um, mental health. There's alternative advertising channels that rose in prominence due to LegitScript, and uh, Josh is gonna talk about this a little bit more. SAMHSA, erratic competition, people you know, really not knowing what to do in and around the pandemic. Some of them doubled down, but many of them just went quiet. Uh, native ads, paid social, programmatic, YouTube, and then also a pendulum swing back to traditional media. Um, since everyone is online now, it's important that you have visibility in the push strategies, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Everyone froze at first. Businesses and economies froze. Smart players invested in long-term strategies. So the big players that we've seen that have um, really sustained through this time period are ones that invested in SEO, uh, branding efforts, internal staff training, and staff recruitment. And staff recruitment is a massive issue right now. We're finding a lot of our clients that are reaching out to us are less about patient volume and more about staff to serve the volume that they have. So we're, we're in, engaged in a number of those campaigns as well. Uh, many providers recovered well, and those are the ones that really reinforce their infrastructure and look towards the future. Um, still a thousand treatment centers closed in uh, the United States last year. Now we see the space to be even more competitive with larger players and private equity backed consolidating efforts going on. Uh, many moved to become national players and took market share away from the weaker regional ones and many CEOs retired. Um, so next, Stuart. Do either of you have any comments on this, Stuart or Josh, in terms of your observations during this time period? I think we collaborated on this list a little bit. Correct. Yep. So, and then, yeah. so that's what we saw in the, from the business perspective. And then this slide talks a little bit about what we saw from the, from the healthcare consumers. So Stuart. Trying to move the slide. 
Right. Oh, no, go back. I was just uh, introducing that site. Thanks. Yeah, sure. But at the beginning of 2020, addiction treatment was solid, uh, growing with 15,000 providers, 42 billion in yearly revenue, with a projected 5.2 annual growth. Then COVID hit. By the summer, um, they lost four billion in revenue. About a thousand providers. 54% of organizations had closed programs, and 65% have had to turn away patients. As a result nearly half have decreased hours and had massive layoffs. So the pandemic has really caused a fear of a lot of things. Um, there's been a lot of isolation with the addicts. Um, you know, we're trying to reach them in different uh, uh, delivery networks, trying to make sure that we're reaching the addicts as well as the influencers, but it's really caused a lot of isolation, uh, increase in alcohol consumption, increase in the need for rehab, depression and suicide, as I'm sure you've all seen. Um, I, I pulled some quotes from some different uh, publications. Pandemic stress and loneliness are making addiction more common from Yahoo News. Excessive drinking increased by 21% from the Harvard Gazette. And then scientists estimate for long-term uh, planning, for lack of a better term there, that uh, this increase in alcohol consumption during the pandemic will resonate and have a wake for many years to come. So we just need to be aware that these people are going to need help. And we need to be providing that bridge to get them into quality recovery centers so that they get the help they need. So, great. And then Josh, you wanna to speak to this one? <laughs> yeah, this is an example of the acuteness of the, you know, of the, of the need for treatment right now. This is a search trend for Google, uh, for alcohol rehab on googles.com. And as you can see, the last few months have been the most prevalent. And for several years now, that, that line has been going, unfortunately, north and to the right. <clears throat> yeah. And in retrospect, you know, it's, it's funny how uh, during the pandemic, it was so hard to predict things, you know, because it was just such a crazy time at the beginning months. But now in retrospect, it's like, well, of course, that makes sense, right? You know, you could see that now in hindsight, everything's 2020. Mm -hmm. So I think you want to talk yeah. about branding a little? Yeah. And then I did want to really set the stage for the importance of branding and messaging. Um, we've got everybody online advertising and searching in this space. So it's critical that you have some point of uniqueness or differentiation that breathes through your online property. So as uh, prospects are searching, they're able to connect with a, a residential center or with an institution that's going to provide them with what they need. Uh, we don't want people choosing us just based on location and pricing. We really want them, some do, but we really want them choosing us based upon the quality care that we provide in the facilities. So it's really critical that you have a strong branded message and voice in your online property to provide you that uniqueness that gets you the click and ultimately the call. So I want to add to that, the, um, you know, we talk about when we're doing our seminars, though we haven't done one, Kathy, now. I know, <laughs> a couple years. Two and a half years. <laughs> uh, Kathy and I do a lot of seminars together, that's for sure. Uh, but we talked a lot about why do you build invest in a brand? You know, this beyond the scope of today's call, we don't have time to get into this too much. But you know, the brand in some ways is your most important marketing investment. And really, why do you own a brand? And the key is is that in a highly competitive market, number one, how do you stand out? That's the first thing. It's a way of standing out. And two, um, people are willing to pay more for a brand. They trust a brand. They become loyal to a brand. So if you look at any endeavor, right, there are premium brands and there are lower brands. There are brands that are well-defined and not so much brands. And really in the addiction space, as it's become more and more competitive, um, just when we think it can't get any more competitive, it becomes more competitive. Mm -hmm. Having a strong brand is the foundation. And so a lot of times what we look at uh, as an agency for clients is, you know, is it time to refresh the brand? Is it time to get our brand messaging straight? Is it time to get our brand story <laughs> down? You know, when was the last time we did that? Is it a bunch of words on a web page or are we truly branded? Do we really have our mission, vision, and values reflected in the brand? So if you haven't done this, it might be a good time to think through this as we pivot during COVID to look at everything anew, dust ourselves off and say, okay, where do we go from here? Right. And does your staff, thank you, Stuart, does your staff know what your brand is? Do they carry that, you know, forward in their interface with your referral sources and patients and influencers each and every day? Often they don't know what it is. So it's, it's really important that it's foundational and it becomes part of your culture. That's something that we've been doing a lot more of now throughout COVID is actual culture training 
where we're identifying the culture for the organization and then our trainers are going in and working with the staff on how to best exude that, how to let people know what that brand is without just verbally telling them. And then this is a list, uh, this will be in the deck uh, if you wanna download the deck later with some of the links to some of our recent branding blogs, some really great information in here, but we just wanted to have this in here uh, for your use and, and reference later. Very good. By the way, on that note, the Kathy just said as well, like so often when we're in the opening stages of onboarding a new client, we, you know, I'll ask, so tell me quick, uh, 30 seconds, the elevators are closing. What makes you special? And I usually get, or often get very confused looks. And that's a problem. If we can't enunciate our brand message and really why us in a succinct way, maybe we can have a two minute slowly closing elevator. <laughs> we can't yeah. figure out what to say. That's a challenge. Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah. And then uh, important to diversify. We never want to put all of our eggs in one basket. So it's important that you recognize where your prospects are, what they do, what their buying patterns are, their behavioral patterns. And we've got such great targeting capabilities that Josh is going to walk through here in just a minute. So you want to make sure you understand your market. If you try to be all things to all people, you become essential to no one. So it's really important that they understand your foundation and you know who they are. You also need to know who your competitors are and what that messaging is in the market, most addiction centers do, but it's critical that you keep a file on competition, really, and you reference that, you understand what they're up to, what their offers are, what their uniqueness is, so you can compete. You wanna articulate that brand message across as many touch points with an integrated approach. So you're in the right place at the right time with the right message to capture that lead. You want that strong differentiating property, whether it's a website or a landing page or just an internal location page you're using for one of your facilities, strong strategic SEO and optimize your local. A lot of searches are still local, even with addiction being so widespread in terms of your draw and your radius, uh, they start local. So we wanna make sure that all of your SEO, um, local, your GMB, everything's cleaned up. And again, Josh is gonna speak to that in a minute. Paid search and paid social, tell your story. Um, this is an opportunity to really push your message as to why you are the best candidate for them to choose and then drive up your response by as much as three to five percent with layering in traditional media. You want a level of push and pull marketing, uh, optimize lead conversion with phone training. Uh, this is one thing that I do quite a bit of and it's important that the nuances in their voices are, are heard. Um, I've done some observations. We actually listen to a lot of um, calls to determine uh, success and, and tracking capabilities and attributions. And it's amazing what we hear on both sides of the fence. You know, the types of questions that these prospects are asking that the staff is unable to answer, or even just a vocal intonation change when it comes to talking about the price of treatment for a month. Um, I've heard just a, a very, you know, significant audible change in voice, which would make me concerned if I was a potential prospect. Secure referrals, make sure your uh, BD team is all in alignment around your brand and your strategy, and also leverage your alumni. So this is a, this is a smart strategy uh, approach to make sure that you're firing on all cylinders and that each of these uh, strategies and tactics and channels is uh, leveraging off the others. So, good. And we wanted to share some examples of our recent landing pages with a number of our addiction groups. Um, Stuart, if you want to talk to this a little bit, and then I think you segue into uh, paid social for Josh. Sure. Well, <clears throat> the, the creative is always important. And I think the key thing is when you're looking at whether it's a landing page or website, you know, the, the key factors are always, you know, having a, a benefit and a emotional appeal. You want to make sure the copy iFlow uh, works to convert patients to or convert um, people into inquiries. Um, they're designed with all the right things. It's just, there's a lot to getting a landing page right, but that's oftentimes the center point of the marketing. One of the things that um, you know we talk about a lot with our clients, and particularly addiction space, is that there's um, about three or four factors that are all equally important. So the first thing is number one is how many people are actually searching for care. <laughs> How many people are in the marketplace? That is uh, absolutely critical. That's the one thing that you know we cannot and should not try to influence. Right? People are looking for care, um, and the uh, it's that's out of our control largely, with the exception of push marketing, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in terms of search, there's only so many people searching for results on Google for addiction treatment at any one time. 
And then the second thing that's important is how well is that campaign designed? How well is it engineered? How well is it optimized? So our digital team is you know, spending you know, hours and nights and you know, watching results come in on a daily basis, hourly basis. So how well is that managed? The landing page is the third critical factor. So it's equally important to the, uh, how well is the campaign managed? And it's equally important on a uh, basis of results of how many people are searching. And the final thing that matters equally important is how well those calls are handled. And one of the things we talk about a lot is it's a multiplicative effect. In other words, if you can do 20% better chance, if we can get the landing page 20% better to convert through conversion rate optimization techniques, that immediately increases your results by 20%. It's just like that. And another way of looking at it is if your staff or your team answering the phones can uh, convert 20% better on their calls, you instantly increase your results by 20%. Uh, likewise, if we have a great, you know, there's huge demand, we have a great campaign and we have a great landing page and we're sending thousands of calls, but if your team can only convert um, a zero, that means the whole thing does convert zero, right? It's multiplicative. So these are really important factors to think through all of them. Are we generating demand uh, through, you know, paid social or media or whatever? Are we uh, looking at, um, Certainly optimizing the campaign is crucial. The landing page experience is crucial and the phones. These are all part of an integrated system. So with that set up, um, sort of a bump in a uh, set for um, <laughs> Josh, now you can spike it. <laughs> well, and, and that segues well, uh, Stuart, I wanted to mention ad rank because when Google is looking to rank your ad amongst competitors, they're looking at a few factors. And one of those factors is the landing page quality. So. If we are attuned with what they're looking for and, and building pages to suit Google's needs, then we are mitigating the cost of the bid that we have to pay, the, you know, the cost for the click there. And that's what we're looking to do. If we can improve ad copy and improve the landing pages, then we'll rank highly with Google without having to spend too much to do so. So uh, four years old this summer, Google Ads transitioned from Google AdWords about four years ago, which is almost a tech aid. I mean, in tech, if if you've if you know five years is ten years, it's not quite Moore's law, but it's it moves very quickly. So, if you have uh, a vendor, or if you've seen references to AdWords in recent communications, uh, recent reporting, that's a red flag. Just because Google changed that name for a lot of reasons, um, you know. AdWords was initially a, a means for focusing on keyword strategy to, to market online. Since then, that platform has grown to include uh, YouTube, display advertising, Gmail, uh, Google My Business, all kinds of other things. So uh, AdWords is sort of a limiting thing when you're, when you're looking at that full ecosystem. And um, you know, that, what does that include? Well, so AdWords started in 2000, and uh, last year they made $257 billion in profit just with ads, you know, Google ads. So um, critical factor there, that, that's still Alphabet's number one source of revenue. Right now, uh, Google Maps, Google Reviews, Google Business Profiles, which used to be called Google My Business, I'll touch on that a bit later, uh, YouTube and Gmail, all these things work together. So that ecosystem, and this is intentional, right? Google wants us to interact with their products, use all of them and spend money with them. So if we're aware that maps work very closely with Google ads, and the only way to show maps ads is to, is to have an ad extension working in Google. And the only way to show ads um, you know, on that SERP is additionally to have that Google business profile linked up with your ads account. Um, it's important to notice that that's what Google's moving towards. They want you to be using each of these things and they have a lot of value uh, to each other. So it's easy to see why that old name had to go. Google Ads is a lot more all-encompassing with what they're able to offer. So uh, this is a jargony sentence that I put in here on purpose. I can't stand business jargon and, and most people can't, but I wanted to talk through the, this sentence specifically. So catalyzes brand growth nimbly and effectively while SEO grows. Uh, Google Ads catalyzes brand growth by allowing you to be seen immediately and often, as often as you like. You know, typically a lot of these longer term plays, which are critical, do take time. And, and if you're up against, you know, a competitive situation or, or, or time window, um, ads are a great way to catalyze that brand growth. When you're running ads in the beginning of a campaign, your SEO profile is growing, you know, all that work is being done. Ads tends to support that work uh, intrinsically and, and very strongly. So. Catalyzing brand growth is important. Uh, grow nimbly 
we could have ads running on Monday at 8 a.m. and bid twice as often as we do when we run ads on Friday evening, right? We know some of the patterns of addiction. And so we want to be able to be very nimble with our targeting and our settings and what we're able to do with ads. And, and that gives us very effective um, performance and metrics. The targeting controls that Google Ads allows have improved. The settings have improved. We're able to really filter who we're targeting and, and where we're uh, showing ads. So we want to be able to take advantage of all that and um, you know, get the most out of that. So Google wants more control. Uh, this has been the case for quite some time right now, but uh, essentially they're looking to automate the Google ad system to, to make the decisions on when an ad should show and how much it should cost. You know, we, we want to take these things with a grain of salt. Google will give recommendations within the platform and through email and every other means that they have. Um, we, we analyze those recommendations, but it's important to recognize that for the most part, if Google is giving you a recommendation on your campaign, it's probably um, based on spending more money with them. So we want to make sure that you aren't auto accepting bad advice from Google that might cost you money. These accounts currently are set as a default to auto accept recommendations after two weeks of inactivity. So if you are managing your own ads or if you have someone that's doing that and is not monitoring that automatic recommendation uh, spot, you're going to have some trouble there because a lot of those actually hurt performance and, and can cost you more. So I'd say a key takeaway from this slide from Google is to make sure that you're not opting into these auto suggestions, which are getting more and more aggressive and less and less relevant. Right. Uh, and then lastly, on this slide, I just wanted to say that it requires proper management. You know, these, these automated settings and things like that are, are a great way to show um, activity, but not real management of a campaign. So uh, important to, to notice that. I just add, Josh, that uh, one of the things we talk a lot about internally is taking advantage of Google's AI managed by humans, not just defaulting to AI, not just exactly. to machine. Our objective is, you know, um, to be successful with our clients and win uh, patients. Our objective isn't to make Google happy. <laughs> they have plenty of money. Thank you very much. And you brought up something I talk about a lot. About 80% of their revenue is still Google ads it's like that all the money is there i mean all those phones and all those little home google at home and all those things are part of an ecosystem but it's still an advertising it pales in comparison to the ads yeah. it's nothing in market share the the ad so when people i often bring that up and people say oh nobody looks at those ads really well there's many many billions of dollars to prove that's not the case i'm with you yeah i don't know how it happens but it it really does um, so Logiscript, we all know this, this word, this company, uh, September 17th, the night of, in 2017 was the day the music died for fraudsters in the addiction space. Uh, I was at a conference uh, for the uh, NAATP in Austin where this actually happened. I was speaking as a Google employee for, on the topic of ethics. And um, there was obvious concern about patient brokering. Shortly after that, a legit script was brought into the mix. Uh, Google and I went through the audio for that conference and essentially uh, ads shut down for about a year for this industry. And then most of us know about that. Uh, a year later, it did come back. So it's been about four years now since that, that dark day and, and we've all adjusted since then. But legit scripts changed a little bit too. Um, you know, since the beginning, uh, costs have gone up. Most of us have seen that happen, uh, and that's most of most things. But uh, policies have also changed a little bit. You know, the, the linking that you can do in uh, the first year has changed from from what you can do today. So uh, they do annual reviews on this. So anytime that they're reviewing sites, reviewing uh, assets that you've submitted for approval, there, um, it's important to to be aware of the current status of their criteria there. Because um, a few things have changed a bit. And one example of that Kathy alluded to earlier was when telehealth became very prominent in uh, April to May of 2020. And an exception was granted by Google and LegitScript to allow telehealth promotion without the um, standard licensure for that. So there are always you know, caveats and, and, and potentially uh, unexplained expected things that can happen with LegitScript. Uh, it's good to be monitoring the current status of that. Uh, it's also used for a few other industries. It started actually as a means to uh, regulate pharma and, and pharmacies, and uh, since then has moved into the CBD realm as well. So Logiscript is a, a large oversight entity that covers a few different verticals. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize, I mean, 
the certification initially came from Google and, and, and was tied to Google, but it quickly spread to uh, Microsoft ads, also known as Bing, and Facebook ads as well. So if you are paying legit script annually for that certification, it's usually best to be getting the most out of it by doing something on you know each of these platforms. Facebook, I'd say, is secondary to the other two. It does require annual renewal, as I mentioned, and regular reassessment. So if your clinical situation has changed, if your licensure has changed, if your location, you know, there are a lot of specifics there that they're going to, uh, you know, analyze. Uh, important to uh, be ready for that. Our team is very well versed in how to work through those changes and those, you know, criteria that they're going to ask for. Um, speed is, is the name of the game there. There's a lot of back and forth with that company in getting these certifications done. We, we, we tend to work through that very quickly. And lastly, LegitScript is the only store in town. They don't have a competitor. Uh, I, I once did a speech for LegitScript at a conference and, and used the term necessary evil. And, and while evil might be a strong word, LegitScript is a necessary entity in this, in this space, as most of us know. YouTube, I wanna talk about YouTube. I don't think uh, we're, we're using it enough as an industry addiction uh, can be doing a lot more YouTube and I'll give a couple of reasons why. Firstly, YouTube is still free. You, you know, you can go in there, create a channel with your brand all over it and, and start to add video content and you know, brand it with, with all kinds of detail about your company and your brand for nothing. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, YouTube ads actually run in the Google ads platform. So if you have a, a little video that shows a, a walkthrough of your facility, uh, you know, a quick testimonial, a, a note from the owner, any of that kind of stuff does very, very well in, in a promotional aspect. Um, so what we want to know here, it, it ties in with, with these other networks and, and there's one really important and interesting aspect of that. When you search Google for uh, sorry, when you search YouTube for addiction rehab, what you'll find is that you have a few text ads that show up on top of the SAMHSA ad. Typically on search, you know, google.com, that's tougher to do. So YouTube is showing some new types of ads. You will see little YouTube ads on, uh, you know, in feeds and things like that, but they also have text ads that show up very prominently in the search bar on, on YouTube itself. And in fact, YouTube was uh, for a minute, the top search engine in the world. It's now number two, but a lot of search activity is done on YouTube. And if you have some kind of presence there, you're gonna benefit greatly from having that there. The, the TV media that we're seeing come through there is starting to get very excessive and, and, and a really good cost on YouTube as well. So can't say enough about YouTube, um, really low cost way to promote your brand. We talked about this a little bit ago. Google Places initially was the name. Google My Business is the name most of us know. It lasted for many years, but they have changed it recently and it's now Google Business Profiles. These offer a free, kind of like YouTube channel, a free local marketing asset that you can procure and, and develop that is proven to drive massive amounts of traffic. And, and you know, we talked about the changes that happened since the pandemic hit. This is one of them. Uh, GM, GMB was what it was called, GBP Profiles. Uh, tend to get a lot of really high quality traffic for local addiction treatment. So if we're not leveraging Google ads to promote these uh, the way we can, it's important that we start doing that. Um, you know, they immediately give people directions. Uh, Google My Business is, is how we show maps ads. You know, when you're looking locally and you see the maps show up and there are little stars and ads next to that, you can't tell Google, I want an ad on maps. You can work with Google business profiles to show up when Google deems it. Um, relevant. This also allows people to show or to leave high profile Google reviews for you. Those are really good for SEO, that there's some social interaction that can happen on these profiles. They keep developing more content there. So you can now have Q&A, video content, photos, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then lastly, we, we feel like these will be monetized. Google's been indicating for a while now that they're probably going to have a, a different uh, tier for this that might be a paid version. So the more you can do while it's free, the better off you're going to be down the road. And this is just an allusion to what I mentioned earlier. SAMHSA is always going to be dominating most of the top spot. There are certain search queries that will allow your ads to show above that. But the, the fact is we want SAMHSA to be there. You know, if you're doing ads properly, SAMHSA is going to show up for the folks that aren't great targets for you and, um, you know, be a good resource for those folks. And then you'll show up when it's more relevant for the, the audience that you're trying to hit. But 
uh, you know, local pack, map pack, map ads, all this stuff is now on the top of that page. And if you add SAMHSA in there, it, it's tough to get any traction without a Google ad if you're not showing up till the bottom of a, of a page like this. And then just a couple of insights, overbranded. One of the things I see in this industry a lot is PPC that is heavily skewed towards the brand term. If you're a brand new facility, uh, you know, promoting your brand with a branded ad isn't going to do a lot for you. You're looking for people who don't know who you are, who are looking for treatment. So if you have, a, uh, you know, if you're getting great results from your PPC, uh, check out how much of it is branded. Branded traffic converts 25% of the time, click-through rate, and clicks cost one-third of what normal click does. So if you've got inordinately low metrics and, and strong numbers there, ensure you're not doing too much branded traffic. Um, the other side of that coin is called conquesting. So if you don't do any branded traffic and you've been around for a while, people may know that that's a valuable name, a valuable keyword to use. And that's allowed to, you know, Google allows that. Coke bids on Pepsi, for example. Um, so if you're not doing any branded uh, advertising and you were able to search your name and someone else comes up for that, they're conquesting you. And that just means that they're using other facilities' names as keywords. You're allowed to do that. You want to do enough branding to protect your name, not so much that you're wasting your budget on a meaningless search. Uh, Kathy mentioned mental and telehealth search volume. That continues to rise acutely the same way alcohol treatment does. So um, if we haven't embraced telehealth, you know, th there could be another pandemic uh, a year from now. We don't know. You know, that kind of thing can disrupt the world again. If it does, you want to be leveraged in things like digital marketing and telehealth uh, to help offset losses in the biz, you know, biz dev area. Ad extensions are extremely important. Uh, I, I say a lot about that, but that gets kind of nerdy. Landing pages, so we did talk about that. Key points, you know, we showed a few of those. Google wants people to have relevant experience. If, if you send them, uh, you know, I'm looking for alcohol rehab and I send them to my main page that talks about detox and heroin rehab and, you know, aftercare and all that, it's not going to be good. We're going to spend more for that click. If Google sends a heroin treatment ad to a heroin treatment page, we pay a lot less for that click. So landing pages are critical. Google wants to make sure they're giving people the right experience. Um, little things like ID verification, they're doing a new thing where they're, you know, checking everyone's business credentials outside of legit script credentials. So, um, you know, little admin things like that are important to, to keep an eye on. Obviously, things that most vendors do very well, us included. Uh, keyword match types and negatives. Another thing I don't see enough of is negative keywords. Things like free, uh, discount, um, you know, if you're not looking to offer free treatment, it's a good idea to put uh, a, a robust slate of negative keywords in place. And then lastly, conversion tracking is, is absolutely critical. In this industry, everyone's worried about you know, cost per admin, admissions, uh, lead cost. These are all things that are very important to track. We want to track from the click, how many of those became leads, calls and forms, how many of the contact forms became actual, you know, valid leads, how often are those phone calls converting, Kathy mentions, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, experience working with call centers and, and, and call scripts and things like that to make sure these calls are handled properly. If you're paying $150 for every call that you bring in from a Google ad for addiction, it's imperative that the people handling, you know, handling those calls are doing so effectively. I, I don't know. Can you guys hear? I'm hearing some like thumping or some feedback. I'm not sure what's happening over there. So I don't, I don't know. Hopefully that will go away soon. Um, the, uh, so one thing I want to add up on this is, as well, the, um, to Josh's comments is that our, our uh, paid digital team led by Garrett, uh, and others that are on that team, you know, they love just cutting the fat when we take on a new client and that's, uh, you know, going back to like keywords, match types, or, uh, the landing pages or the extensions. Usually there's in our opening weeks, working with the companion opening months, it's just, there's usually so much fat it's really important because money can just blow through on it's amazing how fast you can blow money by a poor spending on google um so for example like you were saying free or cheap or jobs and careers and that's the simple stuff but there's you know hundreds or thousands of variations of negatives that we work with all of our addiction campaigns you should have no less than 1500 yeah yeah to um over time that we've learned they're just you know loser um terms and going back to the um you know the conquesting and being conquested those are really important decisions and it's really easy a lot of times you know uh sort of google ads amateurs will make themselves look good by just buying on a bunch of branded terms oh. they would have had anyway happens all the time. and it's important to periodically check 
um, how you're showing up and when you should use the ad and when you shouldn't. And it's really getting to actually granular with the tool because sometimes you might be running ads and you don't have to, you're showing up number one and it's really, there's no, it's uncontested. And so um, there might be some presence there, but other times there might be four or five people competing on your name. It's like, well, do you want to be there or not? Is what I always say. It's like, yeah, I hate it. It's, you know, annoying, but do I want to be there or not? You know, because if everybody else is there and you're not for your own name, that's a problem. You're and, forced to protect it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Geofencing? Geofencing, it's a fancy term, but it really just means, you know, targeting a geographic area around a certain point. Um, we're able to, for example, if we wanted to target uh, a large area around a music festival, for example, we could do that. We could, we could say we want to be a mile around this point and we want to show a specific type of ad during a specific time of day for that, you know, concert or, or, or ball game or whatever event or conference or whatever we wanted to target. So you can be very intentional and specific with the area that you're targeting and the messaging that goes into the ads that hit those people in that small targeted area. So uh, thank you, Josh, that was awesome. So I'm gonna switch and uh, take over a little bit of SEO. And by the way, uh, those of you who don't know me, I, I love this stuff. I mean, I grew this company when, uh, back when we were first founding it back in the day as we built this company on SEO and paid search. And to this day, I love, I'm still a geek. <laughs> I mean, I was a long-term brander and a direct response marketer before, uh, but I still love this stuff. So uh, just a quick couple of thoughts about SEO because we're already um, at 44 minutes past the hour here. But SEO is, um, you may know if you're in the addiction market, there was May 2020 was a huge update uh, to the algorithm. And um, so you have SAMHSA, you have these algorithm updates where they're taking treatment uh, centers and pushing them down, especially the ones that are, have a bunch of spam on their website or some of them that did a lot of, um, you know, questionable linking strategies. So poor content, poor linking, poor authority. I should say on the organic side and on the paid too, but especially organic, that Google takes this very seriously because they feel like misinformation is bad in any field, but in healthcare, it can kill people. <laughs> so they really want to make sure that they've got the best possible quality. So it's there's uh, many, 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 many uh, addiction centers took a hit. And if you think about with SAMHSA being at the top, that immediately took you out of number one position. That's obviously going to have an impact on your numbers, right? And that's something we can't fix. There's no solution to that. So the way path forward, and it's a thing we talk about a lot is content, content, content. I mean, there's all the technical things that we need to do for our clients and, and as well as you need to do, but it's, uh, and that's a given, but at the end of the day, strong content and white hat is the way to go. You know, addiction's had a, unfortunately, you know, sort of a on again, off again relationship with Google. And there's reasons why, of course. So um, anyway, so that's the, SEO and addiction is a challenging field. Um, you know, when we work with our clients and if, you know, with your own uh, business as well, whether we're doing it or you're doing it with somebody else or however, but it is important to audit the website and to look at um, from many different points of view. So when we work with our clients, we're typically looking at, you know, extensive, extensive uh, reporting on, you know, all the things that matter, for example, navigation, the content, the linking, the quality, internal linking, blogs, um, the um, duplicate content. There's dozens and dozens of factors that matter, and there's hundreds of other factors that matter a little. So there's a whole lot to this. This is a very specialized area of expertise. Um, you know, for this is something that, and what's difficult about this is it's really hard to know talent unless you're from this category, because there's a whole bunch of posers, sadly, in SEO. Um, our team, I was thrilled when I was able to hire uh, some of our, all, really most of our SEO team came from the leading guy in SEO, uh, the leading sort of godfather of SEO. Um, but it's really, really important to make sure whoever you're working with has the dot for knowledge and real world understanding. A hint, if it's really cheap and it's um, some magic tricks, you probably have the wrong person because <laughs> it's really just lots of really smart people doing lots of stuff to make it work. The, I alluded to a minute ago, there's really several different ways of looking at SEO. Again, there's the technical SEO, the navigation structure, URL structure, uh, internal linking, external linking, duplicate content, the speed and performance of the site, uh, semantic markup and schema. Um, these are all things that are 
sort of essentials for SEO. And that's just the beginning. But everybody focuses on that. That's really vital. But then also on the content side. So the content is really, at the end of the day, what Google wants is content. And Josh worked there, but I've been to the Google campus many times. And you know they are passionate about content quality, um, uh, satisfying the users. If, they're, uh, if the machine starts serving up content people don't want, Google loses billions, right? So they really, really want good content and a great user experience. So the... Um, it's all about having content. And typically when we work with clients and you should do this as well, is we think about both. We're working on the technical fixes, which on a big site can take a year or two. Uh, they can be, you know, a lot of our sites these days have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of pages. There's a lot to be done to clean up messes that are left over. And there tends to be website bloat. And then on the content side, what we often do is look at, okay, there are opportunities to leverage what we already have. One of the things is, there are some you know, providers out there in the addiction sort of SEO world where it's all about just writing blogs. And like from before we start writing blogs, our recommendation is if we already have 2,000, what can we leverage the reward of that? How can we get to, um, you know, you may have uh, you know, dozens or hundreds of blog posts that are showing up that could be showing up a lot better if we just did a few things to them. So how can we get some quick wins? How can we... Uh, make get something from page two to page one. How can we get something from the bottom page one to top position? How can we do internal linking to promote our services? There's often enormous opportunity with the content you already have. And then, of course, it's creating new content in a very strategic way that's low funnel that's designed to be um, converting. So, you know, uh, when it, you know, if you really want, I'm sure you could write show up number one by writing, you know, best addiction treatment center on Mars. That probably won't help you. <laughs> Nobody's searching for that, right? So the it's really important to think through strategically what your content is, what's the content strategy, as well as the technical and coordinate that. And it's not easy. Today, you know, most of the people we see in this marketplace have you know very mature sites. There's lots to work with. There's lots of insane amount of competition, but those are the levers you have. Um, <clears throat> Josh alluded to. GMB, Google Profile, Google Maps, Google Places, <laughs> Google whatever. Um, but the, the thing here is that um, the re most people don't realize but there's a whole different algorithm for Google Maps slash profile slash my business. And it uh, really comes down to relevance, proximity, and prominence. Those are the three things. So how relevant to the searcher, how close to the searcher, and how prominent are you uh, in your field. So they tend to recognize bigger businesses more. Also, it's really, really important to make sure that you have a, an incredibly robust profile. Everything you possibly can put in the profile is to your advantage. You also want to make sure that you have uh, respond to reviews and good, more reviews is better, good reviews is better, and responding to reviews is better. So look, this is a whole area we could do and have done and will do whole webinars on just Google Local. So we're not gonna talk about that right now and, and more of that, but just recognize it's a whole different game. Oh, another thing most people don't know is a well-ranking main site will help your um, local search as well. The, uh, another thing that's important to recognize back in May, 2015, I think the date was May 16. I remember talking about this. It was, uh, it was in the news, if you're a tech nerd, Mobile Geddon. And that was when Google first came back and said, we're going to uh, prioritize Google mobile and I remember mobile searches. I remember reading about this. The guy who was ahead of that was doing, was put his laptop away and did all of his searches on mobile. Can you imagine that back in 2015 when an experience that must have been like? Because <laughs> it was just awful on mobile. So now mobile getting turned out to be sort of a tsunami that had a three inch wave. It wasn't a big deal at first, but it's been growing and growing and growing. So they did, the changes were minor at first, but now mobile first is absolutely where, um, you know, and it turns out roughly two thirds, 70% of searches we see for addiction treatment are on mobile. So mobile is hugely important every step of the way in terms of showing up on Google in terms of uh, user experience, in terms of converting. You just have to think through about mobile. It's um, essential. Um, the, you know, again, as I mentioned this a minute ago, um, the Google Maps or the Google <laughs> My Business Profile and um, 
They're going to change it again, Josh. I'm telling you, they're going to change it tomorrow. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the um, uh, so anyway, the Google and your main website work together. Another thing we talk about a lot with Google Local is getting consistent name, address, and phone number across directories. You may be familiar with this, so it's important to be Google My Business slash Google Profile. Our uh, business profile are vital, but there's also hundreds of other directories we want to dominate. And this is the kind of stuff that I always joke, um, people on our team, in fact, Natanya, who's co-leading this, is heads up this effort on our team, you know, quietly working in the background, toiling away on our clients, you know, no appreciation, nobody even understands what she does, but it's important. This is important stuff to get all this right. So thank you, Natanya, <laughs> for leading that effort for our clients. Uh, oh, voice search was on here too. One other thing, voice search is like really, um, we've been talking about that now for two, three, four years probably, but it's really becoming a big deal. And, you know, it's one of those things that as people get more used to it, they get more used to it, they start using it more. And so designing your website and FAQs and uh, your GMB and all these different profiles to consider local search is a gimme that most people are underrepresenting and underthinking. Catherine, want to talk about advertising? Yep. So as I mentioned in the beginning, it's important to have a level of push and pull. And with uh, the internet being just crammed com competitive, it's important that you're looking at other opportunities to push your message to layer that, that opportunity. So um, media really falls into two categories, push and pull, and pull marketing is being king of the hill when people are looking for you. So that's essentially being having good ranking with your website, um, having the appropriate search strategy in place, Push is pushing your message when they're not. So that tends to be your traditional, some of the digital um, content delivery networks that we can use as a push strategy. You wanna have a layer of each. So you're capturing the audience who is looking for you. As Josh said, we do a lot of research um, on our clients out of the gate. And one of the things I see every single time is 70 to 80% of their traffic is coming from branded searches, which is people who already know who you are. So it's really important that you're driving more of a message um, about what you do and reinforcing that brand so it's not just uh, just branded traffic that you're getting. Um, and then also your tracking and analytics are critical. It's important that you don't have your traditional media and your digital media siloed so that they're not communicating with each other. Traditional media is a lot harder to track, uh, but you can build in attributions that make sense in terms of timing. You can look at spikes in traffic to the website that coincide with the time that the spots aired. There's devices you can put on the site that bring attention to that visual that they saw that prompted that response in the first place. So look to have a, a strong media buyer who knows how to buy media. And um, we've been relying on one that we've had for years. And there's a lot that goes into the research and uh, campaign setup so that you're, you're uh, learning off of the experience of others. So Stuart. Great. So as we swing into the home stretch here, <laughs> the, uh, we're going to cover uh, very briefly some key topics. And obviously, we have more webinars we can do in the future. So let's do this. Um, just a couple quick thoughts. Um, number one on B2B. So uh, most addiction treatment centers have business development teams. Uh, what I find is they often have a business core business development team that is are responsible for a wildly larger territory than they can ever possibly hope to service. So uh, one of our clients, Midwest, has 10 people to service the entire Midwest. I mean, you're talking, okay, good luck, you have Kansas. Meet every you know, high school counselor, every college counselor, every parole officer, every judge, every um, LCSW and MFC, you know, like, no. <laughs> it's like, you can't, right? Um, the government, the courts, all these different places. So as they should, they tend to focus on the larger opportunities and, you know, but even still, it's really, really difficult. No, by the way, it's not like you're alone in Kansas. There's a whole bunch of other um, uh, BDs out there competing for the same business. So one of the things we talk about is, you know, obviously the most addiction centers are still strongly, they've got good strong BD teams, but they fail to realize that you can give them air cover with or air support with marketing. And so what we often are recommending to our clients are and helping implement are, for example, email marketing automation campaigns, creating specific campaigns by niche, by area, supporting the reps as though it's coming from the rep. Hard mail, uh, good old fashioned hard mail. You know, I've sent 
back in the beginning of my career, I guess, I'm guessing I did about a half a billion pieces of mail. Certainly isn't sexy, um, and, uh, certainly isn't topical, but it still works. In fact, in so many ways, it works better than ever because uh, nobody's mailing anymore <laughs> compared to the old days. Uh, page social and programmatically unique, and the, the little at sign with the fingerprint here, the point of this is we can actually, depending on the client and campaign, target people on a one-on-one -on -one basis as they travel around the internet. So through all these methods, um, you can actually have a real strategic marketing campaign to make your business development perhaps far more successful. The um, uh, We're going to be at NAPI. <laughs> as we were last time, and uh, Kathy wanted us to put the slide in because it was the kind of thing where people just stood by and just looked at us. <laughs> they stared at you it. Guys yeah. do. So we are bragging about our booth, but there's a point here, right? At Nappy, for example, um, there's a whole bunch of other addiction centers that, that are there, and the booth matters. Um, so this is just an example of once you create a brand, communicate this everywhere. We communicate this on our website. We communicate this in our presentations. We communicate this in our eBooks. So as you start thinking through, you know, how to um, stand out from a B2B's perspective, you want to. Kathy, can you do the two minute version of phone conversions? I absolutely can. Yes. So this is uh, really the, the defining moment. We've, we've built our brand. We have found the right people. We've driven the phone call or the inquiry it's critical that you have the right people in place to convert the calls. Um, I've often said I look at a, a center like an upside down pyramid balancing on the end of the finger of the people answering your phone. And a lot of the addiction centers that I have visited have phone teams and a dedicated you know, boiler room and they've got their leaderboard and everything's focused on conversions and um, probabilities. But you know, when you really listen to the people on the calls, and many of these people are addicts themselves in recovery, or they are clinical, and they've got lots of experience, but it's really important that you get in lockstep with that caller, that they feel like you know them, that you're embracing them, and they feel comfortable enough at that transactional moment to make a decision to choose you. We know if they don't get into treatment, their only outcome is hospitals, institutions, and death. So I like to sit very strongly in this position to make sure that if they are in fact trying that you're trying as hard as they are to, to find a way to get them in. Very so. good. Subject for another, yet another webinar someday. Yeah, talk about that for a long time. I'll bring this home, I think, just for the sake of time. Yep. The, the, last, the last thing uh, that's really vital is analytics. And certainly, you know, if you're working with a professional firm, you should be having, you know, a dashboard that you can see the results on a 24-hour basis. You should be able to listen to the actual calls and call tracking with appropriate HIPAA. And I would say one thing that's exciting is we're seeing more and more clients that want to go to the next step and actually integrate with their CRM. Um, so that gets more complicated because tracking leads and inquiries is really vital. Being able to track that back to actual patients. This is not simple. This is difficult, expensive, uh, requires great programming skills, and it's not 100% accurate, but it's better than guessing. So there's two ways of doing this. We can track things on the front end in terms of inquiries. And then what we oftentimes will do with most clients is go back and sample calls and do the best we can to come up with reasonable estimates. Like So for example, in addiction, having uh, done this multiple times with humans going back and listening to calls, we usually see around two thirds to 70% are new patients. So there's always gonna be you know, people looking for a job or repeat callers or you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, but usually around two thirds, 70% are going to be first time new callers. So then the question becomes, once we direct it beyond that is, okay, how many can we convert? How are we offering it? And working closer with clients to make some reasonable estimates to move forward. Integrating with CRM is the gold standard. It's just harder, uh, but we are seeing more clients interested in that. And that's great news. So um, we are just about almost exactly in an hour. Um, Jake, um, uh, Josh and uh, Kathy, any final words? And I know you guys have some questions from people both during and uh, currently. Uh, what do you, would you like to cover here? Yeah, I actually have a question that was posted, which is how to determine a digital media budget. <clears throat> Josh, I'll pass that to you. Yeah, honestly, in this space, there are a number of factors, and that's what anyone's going to tell you. But I'll speak specifically to the main ones. The first, uh, the competition in your area. If you're in Maine, and you have a treatment facility versus Florida, that's gonna be a big factor in determining your budget. Um, you know, costs are, are different in, in certain markets and, and they can be wildly different. So you might pay half what you do in uh, Florida if you, if you have a treatment center in Montana. 
Um, geographic location is, is obviously critical if you're in the city and uh, you know, you're targeting a very uh, you know, heavy populated area, that's gonna be a little tougher competitively. Um, cost per click can vary wildly. The business development that you might have on the ground is gonna be a big factor. If you've got good biz dev in one county, you may need to spend less there because you've got better traction. Um, the services that you offer as well, right? If you're, if you're offering detox, if you're offering uh, telehealth, you know, your budget can, can be a lot more robust. So I'd, it really depends on the services and the, and the treatment that you want to focus on, the, the competition that you have in the areas that you want to target and grow in, and the, um, you know, the costs that associated with advertising in those, in those markets. So uh, the, the easy question, I would say, you know, if, if uh, in addiction, a cost per call in, in a heavily trafficked state like Florida is usually between $150 and $200. So if you're looking at that as a lead and converting, if you have great phone work, right. maybe one-tenth of those, you know, you've got to extrapolate those costs. If you're looking for two admits a month, it could be five to seven K. Uh, for in-network, if you're looking for out-of-network admits, that, that cost goes up a little bit. Okay. Thanks for that, Josh. I think that's all the time we have for questions. Um, that should conclude our webinar today. Thank you all so much for attending and we look forward to seeing you in San Diego. Thank you. Thanks.